0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets. Hi, y'all, and welcome to Horsin' Around. Saddle up and get ready to have a darn tootin', gallopin' good time as we trot out the show that's your ultimate horse source, of course. Find out how to use good old horse sense when it comes to breeding, feeding, training, and explaining. From practical tips on caring for your horse's health to advice on how to buy horse supplies, including bridles, halters, saddles, and more, So get ready to start horsing around with your host, horse expert and award-winning rider, Audrey Pavia. Howdy, Audrey.
1: Hi, welcome to Horsing Around on PetLifeRadio.com. I'm your host, Audrey Pavia, author of Horses for Dummies. Thanks for joining us. This week, our guest is Carol Devereaux, author of the book, Spirit of the Horse, The New Myths of Equus. Carol is an animal communicator who is going to share her understanding of spirituality as it relates to both humans and horses. We'll be right back with Carol after these messages.
0: Why the long face? I reckon horsing around will be back in the saddle right after we round up a few words from our sponsors. Molly, here's your dinner. Zeus, that's not your food.
2: purchase your cat tree tray today go right now to cat tree that's cat tree tray.com
0: c-a-t-t-r-e-e-t-r-a-y.com
2: let's talk pets on petliferadio.com
0: we know you're chomping at the bit to hear more horsing around well we're back on the trail, so park yourself over yonder and set a spell. You ain't heard nothing yet.
1: Welcome back to Horsing Around. I'm your host, Audrey Pavia, and today we are talking to author and animal communicator Carol Devereaux about her new book, Spirit of the Horse. Welcome, Carol.
2: Hi, how are you? Good. First off, tell us what your book is about. My book it was written over a, a very long period of time, so it covers... Quite uh, many years of my life, my experience with three horses that I adopted and rescued in the early 90s. And so once I, once I started working with horses, I, I found a book uh, called Animal Talk. And at that time, I'd never heard of animal communication, but that's what this book was about. And at the back of the book, there was a phone number you could call uh, to get a reading with an animal. And I was pretty fascinated with the idea, so I made the phone call. And at that time, the author had decided to transfer all of her clients over to a woman by the name of Dr. Jerry Ryan. And she was in Oakland, California. And when I got in touch with her, I um, told her I had a horse. I had just bought a horse. And he had some very strange behavior. I'd never ridden horses before. I was 40 years old at the time. And I asked her if she could help me. And um, so she was in Oakland when I made the phone call, and I was in Portland, Oregon. And I asked her to talk to Buddy, and she did. And when she she said she was going to put the phone down while she communicated with him and that she would come back on the phone when, when she was finished. So the first thing that happened was she described a situation with Buddy and I that no one could have known about because I didn't mention any of the particulars to her about the situation, and she gave me a full rundown of what was going on and what Buddy wanted to know and and asked me what I wanted him to know. and So that kind of got me hooked on the whole subject because it was really fascinating what happened after that and she came to visit me a few years later and during that visit is when Buddy told her that he wanted to write a book with me and that's how the book got started. I had no clue how to write a book with a horse and I, uh, you know, at years later I discovered the process of the hero's journey and in the beginning, the first stages of the hero's journey, the The person called to the mission, uh, resists as, as, you know, as much as they can because you have to put everything that you know aside and you have to go off on this, in this dark path that you don't know what the results are going to be. You don't know what's going to happen. And in, in that period in my life, I didn't think I was going to become an animal communicator. I, I had no idea what I was, you know, going to do. I had just gotten married and I'd gotten a horse and I was, you know, learning how to horseback ride and found this book and then I, I, all of a sudden I'm going 180 degrees the other way in a totally new direction. So when she said he wants to write the book with you, I laughed in their face, Buddy and Jerry, and said, what's it going to be? Uh, Buddy Speaks? Because I came from the era, the beginning of actually, you know, mediumship with some um, the book Seth Speaks by Jane Roberts back in the, I think it was early 60s. So I thought, this is going to be interesting. And I said, well, what's it going to be about? And she said, it's going to be about the spiritual life of horses. And so I eventually, after about a, a year of uh, balking at this whole idea, decided to go ahead and start. And that's how it got started. She she would... um translate she would communicate with buddy in the beginning because i wasn't very good at this and she would ask him what he wanted to say and what he wanted me to do and you know he would start out with saying well let's tell people where horses come from and give them some background and grounding about the history of the horse and so i would go off for weeks and months at a time doing all this research and reading books and books about that subject and then i would make another phone call to jerry and we'd get on to the next chapter so that's how the book grew in the beginning and then after a while i kicked off the training wheels and did the communicating myself and then buddy and i were connecting just uh you know maybe once a month I would sit down and I would uh, transcribe uh, sections of the book at the time that he inspired and told me, you know, this is what I want to, to say to the world. And we did that. Um, that's how I, I guess, be- became an animal communicator. That project started my career, basically, in animal communication. And then I started giving workshops and teaching other people how to do this themselves and, you know, doing consulting and writing and teaching. And that's what I, you know, I spent 15 years after that uh, initial training writing this book. What will people
1: learn about the spirituality of horses from reading your book?
2: Well, they'll learn that we're all, we all are connected to a higher source and each species has their own specific way of communicating with the higher power. So what people will learn from my book is how horses intuit spiritual uh, messages from God that, you know, the Native Americans call it the great mystery. And uh, Neil Donald Walsh calls it life. He, he says life and God are synonymous. So it's a view of God from a non-human perspective. What, what people find is that it's, it's identical to our view. So there's no disconnect. We have the same needs. We have the same desires. Uh, we want to eat and procreate and, you know, be on this planet and live according to our highest spiritual potential. And all life has the same desire. And that's what, that's what I learned when I wrote this book with Buddy. It put me in a place of feeling oneness with all beings, all life, oneness with all life because that life force is what animates all life and that same life force is what inspires us to go to higher places in our mind and in our emotions.
1: Tell us about animal communication, how it works and how it has broadened your understanding of both human and equine spirituality.
2: In my research during the process of writing the book, Buddy asked me to um, work with him on creation myths. And I didn't know very much about creation mythology, so I went and did a lot of research about that, and I found that all over the world, every nation and every people all over the world had a creation myth. So I said to Buddy, well, I assume that animals also have their own creation myths, and he said yes, And and so... By my reading and researching mythology, and I became, you know, an avid reader of all of the Joseph Campbell books, and I uh, learned about most, you know, the from all corners of the world learned their mythology. I learned what it meant to to have a creation myth and what it what it does for a nation and what it does for a people. And then I realized that animals have the same. Uh, Type of creation myths, and, and they're also broken down into, um, species, different, um, I mean, not species, but breeds of the species. So, it's not just a, you know, a a creation myth for horses, but there's a creation myth for an Appaloosa horse, or a Thoroughbred horse, or a Frisian horse. Each one of the breeds have their own creation myths. And that, you know, in itself, was fascinating and it it made me realize that we all have a connection to our source if we would just, you know, focus on it and, and be open to whatever messages we're getting, you know, from that power and then operate from that place of awareness so that we don't go back to egotistically trying to create a result that may or may not be the best thing for us. And not wanting not wanting a specific action to reap a specific reward, but to do something from your heart without any need for um reward or credit, you know, not doing it for credit, but just right. making it because it, it means something to you. It it comes from a place deep inside you that motivates you from another perspective. And doing that by honestly accepting that, that changes who you are and it makes you feel more i don't want to say human it makes you feel more alive like there's a purpose in your life like you have a reason for living and it gives you that hope that there's there's not just chaos that there's actual there's actual uh, a design to the universe we're all part of that design and horses gave me that perspective that i am a specific piece in a huge design. And that if I listen to my higher self and I operate from that place, I will flow with the higher design and as a, as a result be very happy. Okay, well that's some pretty
1: amazing stuff. We're going to take a break and when we come back I want to ask you a little bit about Buddy so we can learn more about him. So we'll be right back after these messages.
0: Why the long face? (laughs) I reckon horsin' around will be back in the saddle right after we round up a few words from our sponsors. We know you're chomping at the bit to hear more horsing around. Well, we're back on the trail. So park yourself over yonder and set a spell. You ain't heard nothing yet.
1: Welcome back to Horsing Around. I'm your host, Audrey Pavia. And today we are talking to author and animal communicator, Carol Devereaux, about her new book, Spirit of the Horse. Carol, you wrote the book with Buddy.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about him? I got married when I was forty and my husband and I moved up to Portland and at the time the property values were pretty reasonable up here and we bought sixteen acres on the top of a hill and I looked around and I said, My God, this would be a perfect place to have a horse. I'd never had a horse before. And so I went out looking for a horse. My husband said, Now don't buy a horse until you've got, you know, took taken riding lessons for a year and you're really sure that this is the direction you want to go in. And I said, okay. So I went and took riding lessons and, um a year later, I said, this is what I want to do. We're gonna, I'm gonna do this. And I, uh, spent three months looking for horses. And I didn't know what kind of horse I wanted. I just, you know, looked in that, you know, for sale, uh, pla you know, ads for horses. And, um I think I looked at maybe I don't know, maybe twenty horses in three month period, and um that's when I found Buddy. I just went to a farm and she was selling a five year old pretty green quarter horse. She said he had been broken to the trail, which he barely had been, but um, I gave her the money, and we we took Buddy home and put him in a in a boarding stable, and that was how we you know started out with him.
1: Yeah, so I thought you told me that uh, you had rescued your horses. Uh-huh. Is that the other horses, not Buddy?
2: Yeah, the other horses were rescued. Buddy, I, Buddy was my heart project, and I think I rode several um, abused horses during my search, but none of them felt the same way I felt when I was with Buddy. So the other horses, the other two horses, one I rescued, off the racetrack and then the other one another one off the racetrack and then one who was left at a house that had burned down he watched the house burn down and then the people who owned the house they fixed the house up but when they went to sell the house they said the horse comes with the property so whoever was going to buy the house had to also want the horse and i thought that was ridiculous so i rescued that horse because he wasn't taking care of him i brought him home He was 29 at the time, and I thought, I'll just give him a couple, a few more good years, a couple more good years. He lived for 10 more years. Wow. He died at age 40. That's pretty unusual. (laughs) It is very unusual. He was a Spanish barb, and he was really a tough little guy. And his full myth is also in the book. His name is Dutch. Can you share one of
1: the myths that you received from Buddy that you talk about in the book?
2: Uh, They're kind of complicated and very, I mean, one of the myths was Buddy's personal myth with me, and that's very deep and complicated. The other one is written by Ellie, who was the the female racehorse who became Buddy's mate. She wrote a myth with me about the goddess of the horse, and that's also very complicated. I don't think I could tell that in, in just a few short sentences.
1: What about the horse creation myth? Did Buddy share one with you?
2: There were five creation myths. Those are right after the section about the prehistory of the horse.
1: Can you share one of those? Are those simple enough to talk about?
2: They're very deep and very moving and I wouldn't give it, you wouldn't get anything from it from just me giving you a short thing about it. Okay. Okay. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work that way. So we'll
1: we'll have to read the book for that, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> okay. It goes through the process of reading the book.
1: Right. Okay. What do horses have to teach us about how to treat one another? I'm I'm getting the sense that you learned that as you were doing this book.
2: Well, the the first communication I ever had with Buddy was about that. And um that was with Jerry Ryan on the phone. She was in Oakland and I, I asked Buddy, what can we do to help make him happier? in his boarding stable because I didn't know if he was happy or not there. And it was mostly a Western barn and I was writing English and all the people there were kind of cowboys. And so I didn't feel like I fit in very well with them. So I said to, to Jerry, please ask buddy, what what can I do to make him feel more comfortable in his situation? And of course I thought he was going to come back and this is my project human anthropomorphizing the horse would would be um, more hay, more time in the pasture, larger grain bucket, more deeper shavings, you know, uh, that kind of thing. He came back and he said to her, what would make me happier in the barn is when people um, treat each other better. Because when they are fighting with each other, that negative vibration filters down to us. And we feel the tension from the tension between the people. And so let's take, for example, if you were going out of town and I'm sitting here, you know, in this barn, if you had a good relationship with some of these people, they would come in and they would, you know, say hi to me. They'd ask me how I was doing. Maybe they'd throw me another flake of hay or something, but they would take better care of me because of you, because of your willingness to treat them with um, respect and vice versa. So what made him happier in the barn was when the people got along with each other.
1: That's really interesting because there's always drama at boarding stables and, you know, it it never occurred to me that it would affect the horses.
2: It affects them tremendously. Yeah. You know how environment-sensitive horses are? You move something in their environment... And you go; they go into the arena, and something's been moved. They go crazy. Yeah, they want that environment to be very predictable because horses grew up, or they evolved, running from predators. So they had to become very sensitive to the environment, to every little thing in the environment. If something was different, that meant that there was a danger. That mm-hmm. they were on alert. So even to this day. Um, they're very sensitive to the vibrations in the environment, and people run their environment. They manage their environment. So to not think that what you say to your neighbor or how you feel about your friend two stalls down doesn't affect the horses is insensitive.
1: I guess, you know, people are so caught up in their thing there that it doesn't even occur to them.
2: Yeah, it seems hard to believe. I mean, children are affected by their Family environment, their home environment, and that's where horses live is in those stables in those little yeah, stalls. Right. So they're, they're just as sensitive as children. If you live in an apartment and somebody's blaring their stereo, um, that affects you.
1: Well, you know when you know I call them jailbreaks when somebody gets out. You know, somebody busts out of their stall uh-huh. and they they run around and they you know usually end up at the hay stack right, eating. Right. And you see the way the other horses react. It really does give you a clue that they really do have a sense of what's going on. Oh, um, sure. yeah, they all get very excited. And you can always tell when a horse is out yeah. by the way your horse is acting in its yeah, stall. Yeah,
2: almost tear it on. Cheer exactly.
1: On. Yeah, yeah, it reminds me it. of go uh right yeah. like the prisoners with their cups banging their cups right, against the bars, right. you know, exactly. make a run for it. Yeah, it's um that's that's a really interesting point.
2: Funny that you mentioned that because Buddy did that once um when we were bringing them in, he took off instead of going in the barn like he was supposed to. He and another horse took off and ran. God, I don't know, half a mile down the road, and um, yeah, it took a while to get him back. But I knew he did it for all the other horses
1: <laughs> for their entertainment purposes. Yeah, and right,
2: was trying to get him back.
1: Right. Well, unfortunately, Carol, that's all the time we have for today. I really enjoyed talking to you, and I hope everybody will check out your book. It's really unique. And um, some really deep stuff here. And anybody who lives with horses really could learn a lot from it. So thank you for being my guest. Thank you. And I'd like to ask our listeners to please take a look at the episodes note page on the Horsing Around website for more information on Carol and Spirit of the Horse. And if you have any questions or comments about Horsing Around, please email me at Audrey at PetLifeRadio.com.
0: Until next time, happy trails. Stop what you're doing and start horsing around every week on Pet Life Radio. Horse expert and award-winning rider Audrey Pavia will be trotting out great tips on feeding, breeding, and more on everything equestrian. So set a spell and say hey to Audrey and get ready for a darn tootin' galloping good time. Every week on Horsin' Around, on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.